0: Hi guys, um, I'm Gabrielle Lindsay, and you're listening to The CoPod. Um, this is the third episode. This is for the English 102 class taught by Dr. Bassett at Mesa Community College. Um, this time we're actually bringing back a book we discussed last time titled Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age by Sherry Turkle, but this time we'll be focusing on the sections titled Self-Reflection and Family. I'm joined again for the third time by Emma Lindsay. Um, I will let her introduce herself a little bit after the intro. Thank you for listening. I'm joined by Emma Lindsay once again for the third time in a row. Um, We are recording this podcast through a Zoom meeting and she's just going to tell us a little bit about herself and what she does and why she's a good person to talk to when it comes to technology in regards to family and self-reflection.
1: Hi, my name is Emma. I am 19 and I am a sophomore at the University of Arizona. I believe I'm a good guest for this podcast because I grew up around so much technology, whether that was phones, even back when like Blackberries and flip phones were the most popular type of phone and even to now like growing up around laptops and TVs and just game gaming technology and I've seen how like as technology has adapted that it has taken away the opportunity for us to self-reflect and pay more attention to ourselves because we are so worried about what famous people are doing or what our friends are doing and what our family's doing. So yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. Kind of focusing on the family aspect of these two um, topics, Turkle emphasizes the concept of no phone time with family, which most conveniently happens at the dinner table a twenty-seven-year-old, admits that she appreciated her parents' phone-free dinner table conversations. Um, this is a quote from page one hundred and twenty-one of *Becoming Conversation* by Turkle. Um, so, have you experienced no phone time with family? And actually, we're obviously we sisters in case you didn't know. So, we grew up in the same household. We grew up with the same um, kind of customs. So, um, obviously, I know the answer. But have you ever had no phone time with family? And would you enforce this with your own family? In
1: my family we didn't feel the need to have any designated no phone times and that's because we kind of all just did our own thing. And it wasn't because we were addicted to our phones, it was more because we didn't feel the need to like put in specific times where we're like, Okay, put down our phones and like gather around, we'll eat dinner together or we'll like do something together. Especially because our parents like work late and sometimes they work on the weekends. So, like, me and my sister, I would cook for me and my sister, and sometimes we would just, just end up eating together. But, um, yeah, like, there was no need for, like, just designated phone time, because we could still bond while on our phones. Or, like, sometimes and my sister would play games together on her phone. And, like, my mom would come home from work and want to play games on her phone or just kind of scroll through social media to cool down after work. But I still feel like as a family, we were able to connect even though we didn't have like a set hour where we put down our phones and just talked with each other.
0: And was there any time when we actually like sat together as a family that you remember and just like didn't have our phones, even if it wasn't exactly planned? Like any like family events or holidays? Did we like kind of just have a a not spoken rule of no phones?
1: Of course, there were times where like gathered with our extended family that we didn't go on our phones for a long time but that wasn't like because we were forced to that was more because of we were talking with our grandparents or our aunts and uncles or our cousins we didn't get to see that often so we were immersed in conversation and like pulling out our phones would just be like a waste of time and not taking advantage of an opportunity to like connect and bond and catch up with people we haven't seen in a while
0: okay and what about your future family like when you have a family of your own and you have kids would you make designated times like at the dinner table if you guys all gathered would you say no phones and make it like a strict rule
1: i feel like it just depends on the family dynamic i think sometimes a no strip like a strict no phone rule at a dinner table or maybe a weekly family like movie night or something that is good for them but i like i just have to wait and see and i feel like planning like what i'm gonna do for my future family would not be beneficial I feel like getting a feel for their family dynamic and maybe finding things to do that would make them not want to be on their phones is better like not from like experience but like from being a kid i know like my parents tried to force me into things and i was a very stubborn child so i tried to get out of everything that i didn't want to do but you know watching a tv show together made us like that was interesting to us and that made us want to put down our phones but like I feel like if my parents start to force on
0: a family dinner it would not be good for us yeah I completely agree about like the future family and stuff and not making a strict like requirement for gatherings I think should happen like much more naturally than that like you know like you said like movie nights What did you say? um kind of looking towards the um other half of the reading we did of self-reflection um You see, as of recently, um, a growth in apps that kind of report on yourself, like, your feelings, and you can, like, log in a whole bunch of, like, oh, I felt kind of sad today. Today was a bad day, and then the next day was happy, and it kind of, like, makes you a statistic, like, your feelings. So, um, why do you think programs that report on how affectionate, happy, upset, anxious, or sad you are, seem to draw more people in than just simply self-reflecting when it does just the same thing but you just have to kind of look at yourself instead of someone else doing the work.
1: I feel like people rely on these apps on their phone to like put in their information and then it like gives them a response because they trust the app more than they trust themselves. There's usually like an algorithm behind it or even if there's not like we would like to think there is one and that's more trusted. It's kind of like a cheaper therapist, like, all the good ones would probably require some form of payment, but I feel like people just don't trust themselves to make their own, like, reflection on, on themselves, so, like, oh, like, something happened today that made me feel sad, like, putting that into an app and them telling you, like, this is what you can you to make yourself feel better, or it's okay to be sad about this, like, it's justified, by other people and by other things so it's easier to like instill
0: in your life yeah i completely agree and that kind of goes into the next question i had which um is when turkle makes a comparison between mood rings and devices that track people's heart rates movements and sleep routines when she says the difference is that even though the ring was fun it had no authority the new tracking devices come with substantial authority we develop a view of ourselves body and mind that is tied to what measurement tells us that is on page 89 of Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talking a Digital Age by Turkle. Why do people hold these tracking devices to a higher authority than something like a mood ring to the point that we change how we view ourselves based on what these measurements tell us? Don't both of them have the same authority where it just, it's kind of based on something that we, we're we not even sure works or not? Like mood rings, it's just based off the temperature of your body. It has no science behind it. How do we know these tracking devices actually work and Why do we just blindly follow them
1: it's not that we trust the apps it's that we don't trust ourselves most people after a long day like working going to school studying like we don't really want to put in the time to work on ourselves so whether it's as simple as a mood ring or an app those things that can tell us how we're supposed to feel like Sometimes it's what we want to hear anyway, so there's not even reflection going on, but it's something that we can look at and trust because we trust it coming from someone else or something
0: else. Okay, and kind of like incorporating social media into the whole self-reflecting thing, why do people use social media as a place to self-reflect when in reality, social media is just shifting our focus from reflection to self-representation, which Turkle says on page 81.
1: I feel like a lot of social media apps... Particularly, Instagram is more about representation. You're putting your best self forward, whether it's through Photoshop or you're choosing the best pictures out of like two hundred pictures. But there, I think there are social media apps like Twitter that you can use for not self-reflection, but more of a ranting style. And sometimes people in the comments will be like, "Hey, I'm going through this too," or "Here's what I did to get out of this." And even on Instagram, as people make like finstas or like fake Instagram accounts, like I have one. And I rant about things. I talk about um, going through like anxiety with school or stress with school, or like I studied for so long for this exam and I got a D like that, like I feel more open to talking about that on social media now than I probably used to. And I feel just as a society, we're moving towards, you know, being able to put your best self forward for your 300 followers on Instagram, your main Instagram, and then going on your second Instagram to like your close friends maybe it's like 10 or 12 people on it being able to be like i had a really bad week so i'm gonna rant about it and maybe you'll comment maybe you'll like it maybe you'll read it and be like hey it is completely okay for people to have bad weeks because of school or anxiety or depression or self-image issues like not everybody looks their best so you know sometimes you're like hey i want to post something on my instagram but you take pictures and they look like like not good so then being able to post something on instagram or your fake instagram and being like I had a really bad week I tried to take pictures and here's how they look and they look really bad and I feel comfortable posting it to these people because I know they won't judge me so I feel like just generally as a society we're moving more towards openness with imperfection but we also still want to have a place where we can look good and people can tell us we look good but also still have the other side of it
0: yeah, I see what you mean. Like, people use Twitter or their Finsta as a diary instead of, like, their Instagram, which is more like a showcase of their life. Okay. In this section, like I said, we focused on family self-reflection, but Turkle also covers other conversation aspects like romantic conversation and friendships. Which of these, meaning family, friendship, and romance, do you feel has the most impact on someone's communication skills and why?
1: I feel like figuring out how to communicate with a romantic partner is not more important, but I think it provides the biggest learning curve. Because with family, you grow up with them Like for at least 18 years, you experience communicating with your family and you figure out like a way to get around it, whether it's good or bad. And even with friendships, it's a little trickier, it's not the same. But um, you find friends that you get along with and, you know, sometimes like, oh, I'm going to irritate you, you're going to irritate me, but we have such good times together. But I feel like in the beginning, especially with romantic partners, navigating and finding the way that you communicate is important because it's not going to be the same or it usually isn't the same because everyone's raised differently. But I think finding common ground and compromising on communicating and being like, hey, I know you don't like that I do this but like here's how I'm gonna compromise and I hope you can do the same for me it's trickier I, in my opinion it's just trickier to navigate and I feel it's more important because obviously like if you're with someone you want to be with them for a long time so I think if you do not find ways to communicate together or like respectfully and find common ground like it won't work out mm-hmm
0: yeah, I agree with you, but kind of in a different way. I think family actually um is has the most impact on someone just because I kind of view friendship, like a true friendship is when I can treat them and be like myself around them like I could around my family and like a relationship, an intimate relationship like with a boyfriend. When I like can be myself around him like I could with my family, that's when I feel like I'm... I achieve the best friendship or the best relationship. So I kind of feel like family is actually what really impacts me the most. And like communicating with family is what really impacts me the most. And it's the most important to me. Thank you, Emma, for joining me once again. Um, I really hope to be talking with you next time too because I enjoy conversations. I feel like I, I agree with you on most things. And the ones we don't, I feel like I respect your opinion. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to episode three of the Copod. This podcast was recorded and edited on Anchor, and the music was taken from Anchor. Thank you for listening.